Blog Talk Radio. Romans 2 and 5. Nope. Righteous judgment of the Most High, who will yep. render unto every man according to his nope. deeds, to them who by patience, continuing yep. some well-doing seat, no nope. glory and honor, and immorality, yep. eternal life, but unto them that are nope. contentious, and do not obey the yep. truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. You an African American? Nope. You believe that's your heritage? Yep. Do you know who you are? Nope. King, queen? Yep. Nigga with back? Nope. Do you shine like a star? Yep. Think they gon' tell you? Nope. We gon' expose them. Yep. Yeah. They gon' take your life? Nope. So many secrets in the vault? Yep. Do this knowledge cost? Nope. Hop in the book to my? Choose 
from You got to choose one Who you gonna choose the most I heard Satan To sight to choose from You got to choose one Who you gonna choose Who you gonna choose Got to choose Alright, alright, alright. You're gonna learn today. Alright, alright, alright. You're gonna learn today. Alright, 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 alright. Shalom, 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 shalom. Good evening. Alright, welcome to another episode of Bible Talk. Uh, my apologies, brothers and sisters. I had a, a, a doctor's appointment uh, this morning. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't make the class this morning. So uh, we're doing it this evening. I, this one, the class, I, I totally forgot about uh, this doctor's appointment. I would announce it in my, my last class. Uh, so, so, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Things are, things are looking up. Uh, but, and again, my apologies that now I had to, you had to hear my mouth in the evening, if you even hear my mouth at all. I had to hear my mouth in the evening so that uh, uh, it can ignore me more, more conveniently in the mornings. All right, as you know, um, we are affiliated with, with uh, schools across the country, such as the Sport of Truth here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, located at 4444 Wildham Street, number 201, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Um, and they have classes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 7.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. And then Saturday starting at 10 a.m. So, and you can watch them live on, on YouTube, as, as a matter of fact, right now um, at the YouTube channel, Sport of Truth, San Antonio, uh, with tonight being Wednesday, being uh, Wednesday night. You can watch them live right now with the Brother Warner Iron, Brother Shamshuan, Brother Deliad, and Brother Kabbalah uh, bringing out, bringing out uh, uh, Bible facts and information. Right. Our school in, in, in Houston, uh, which does have classes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Mondays and Wednesdays, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., and then on Fridays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., and then Saturdays also from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, you can catch them live on YouTube every Wednesday, tonight, as a matter of fact, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, uh, Central Standard Time. And then on Saturday, starting at 10 a.m., uh, their YouTube channel, uh, SOW Houston, Texas, The Stream of Wisdom. 
and they're located at 231 FM Road 292, Stafford, Texas, 77477, being the address there. And the, the priest in charge of the school there is Priest Quattrizop. You can reach him at area code 303-557-8979. Uh, for our school in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, they have classes every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then on Saturdays as well, starting at 12 noon, all these times here being Eastern Standard Time. You can catch them live on Facebook, Facebook Live, at SOW Norfolk, Virginia, Stream of Wisdom, every Tuesday and Thursday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And the brother in charge out there is our brother, our priest, our, our, our um, uh, I don't want to say coach, that's how it's a uh, our man of wisdom, Priest Izaki, Eric, 757-300-4047. And then for our school in uh, Rochester, uh, they also have class every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, you can catch them on YouTube as well at SOW Rochester, New York, uh, Stream of Wisdom. Uh, and that's Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then Saturday is also starting at 10 a.m. They are located at 1600 Lyle Avenue, Street number 1A, Rochester, New York, 14606. Um, uh, we also have uh, three other YouTube channels you can check out. We ask you to uh, uh, like, share, and subscribe to is the Hidden Truth Bible Show, the Israel Media Corps, and Five Minutes of Wisdom. Right, all these are YouTube channels. We ask you to like, share, and subscribe to each of these and hit the, hit the notification button. All right, brothers and sisters, uh, in our announcements also, we know we do have coming up uh, sundown, September 23rd, uh, the beginning of the Day of Atonement. And that, that is, uh, let me get this here, pull it up, pull it up, pull it up, calendar, yes. Today being the 20th, uh, today being September, uh, Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, um, sundown Saturday. Sundown Saturday evening, the 23rd, until sundown Sunday evening, uh, will be the Day of Atonement. And that is the only fast that the Most High requires from the, the children of Israel. All right? Um, so we ask that you please get in touch with uh, uh, the schools that might be close to you in your area uh, and observe um, this great high holiday, this fast, where, where everybody will be participating um, in self-denial and self-sacrifice, and, and not feeding their, their appetites, not feeding their lust, not feeding their, uh, um, their desires, all right, and, 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 and forsaking that for a 24-hour period, for a 24-hour period, all right? So please join us for that, and, and that's coming up. And then we have sundown, September 28th, uh, we have the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and that's going to last until sundown, December, um, I'm sorry, October 5th. Sundown, October 5th, uh, will be the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Um, uh, for those in the Albuquerque area, um, uh, please get in touch with Brother Aisha White Design, area code 505 For any questions you want to have if you're in the New Mexico area, I'd like to give it to Brother Aisha White Design, a great teacher, a great counselor. This is all on good, 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 good brother. Uh, uh, please read up to him uh, up, there, up in Albuquerque. He'll definitely accommodate you. Right? He's a great man, a great man. All right, brothers and sisters, um, this is part of the show where I like to send up prayers for, uh, for the sick people within Israel, within our nation, um, uh, brothers, sisters, friends, and family. Uh, so I'm going to some English. I just ask that in your private time that you might get a chance to get some of these names down. 
and add some of these names to your prayer list as well, all right? Uh, so we say, the Most High, in the name of Christ, please listen to us now, right now. Please send great blessings of your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding, your love, and your mercy. Um, and then we ask, Father, that you please send uh, the Archangel Michael and the Holy Angels to watch over, to bless, to heal, to strengthen, to help, to protect, to build up, and for you to please continue to give your great mercy to uh, the sister uh, Bobby Dixon, uh, to the sister Sierra Leakey, the daughter of our brother David, to the sister Abadiah uh, out there in Houston, to the brother Shaquat Gabar out there in Northern Virginia, to our brother Tahawan Racha and his wife Baradiah here in San Antonio, to a friend John Spann, uh, to, our, to our sister uh, Miss Catherine Ma Dukes, uh, to our friends up in Albuquerque, to Becky, Daryl, and Carmen, uh, to my in-laws, the entire Lovett family, uh, to the Coates family, uh, the entire Coates family, to our brothers, our friend Kazaki and his family, um, to the brother Thawam Mayam out there in Houston, uh, to our brother Thawam here in San Antonio, also West Beverly, to the sister Ayana, the wife of our brother Awana Ayer. Uh, to some special needs children, Father, to the daughter of our brother Tazapa and his wife Arakaya, baby, uh, their daughter Cece, um, to the daughter of our brother Gabar Kawa, Aizali, and to the daughter of our brothers, uh, our brother Bonabad and his wife Padashaya, their daughter Aliyah, um, to Tazapa and his family here in San Antonio, to our brother Kwadashabar, also here in San Antonio, to our, our, our brother and our friend, uh, Yenawatan, up in and to his brother Warren, who is currently uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, to, our, to our family members out there in Florida, to Gabaya Allah and his wife, um, Ayasa, I think it's Ayasa, right? um, and to her mother, Ruthie Mae Johnson. Uh, to our other family in Florida, Sean Quidash and his wife, Mariah. To our brother LV, the truck driver out there in California, and to his mother, Pat Washington. To our sister, Quadashaya. Uh, the wife of Brother Bonabad uh, here in San Antonio as well. Uh, to our friend Sean Stark, our friend Sylvia Khan, to our, our, our little brother Shapar, the son of, of Gabar Kawa. To our brother in Lubbock right now, Yama. To Yasha Allah out there in Gallup, uh, who is the, the, the brother of Danya Allah. And uh, to my parents, Eddie and Bobby Lee Morris up there in Albuquerque. And Father, we ask you all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you always. The water thing God, I'm mine. All right, brothers and sisters, so we got that going on. All right, we got that going on. All right, all right, all right, all right. So the last class we left off with, uh, we, were, we were going over, we just touched into Acts chapter 19. And what we're going over is the true birth of Christ, and right now, what we've been covering in the latter parts of this series is uh, who Nimrod is, the significance of Nimrod, uh, and how uh, he is noted in Genesis chapter 10. Now, I keep getting caught up in, in my recaps, and they're kind of long, but it's, just, it's necessary. So please bear with me. Please be patient with me again um, as, as I'm trying to get everybody's minds um, in the flow of things, of where we're going, okay? Um, 
Nimrod is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 and, chapter, and his name is not mentioned in chapter 11. But in chapter 10, it lets, it lets us know that after the flood, after uh, men pop, repopulated the earth, that the first conqueror, the first tyrant, um, the first one to, to, to force his will over all the people, uh, all the population of the earth at that time was a man named Nimrod. And at the beginning of his empire that he had built, was in uh, uh, Babel or Babylon, and that it extended all the way over to Nineveh uh, in, in Assyria, and that he conquered all peoples to submit to his will. He was a great conqueror. And the scripture tells us that, that it, the way they represent him is as a great hunter, uh, which, which if you don't really do some studying, do a little bit of research, you think he just was, was hunting, right? Like he was out there with a bow and arrow uh, hunting deer or or muskrat or, 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 or rabbit or something, but that's not, that's not what he was actually intending. Uh, that word hunter there, when you look up in the Hebrew, it's so like he was a, a conqueror, right? He was a mighty conqueror before the Lord, and that he even stood against the Lord. Um, when you go into the, actually the, the breakdown of the Hebrew, that he stood against the Lord and that uh, from the Tower of Babel. Uh, it was the beginning of his kingdom being the Tower of Babel, and that what he influenced everybody to do was to make a name for themselves. When you read Genesis chapter 11, we can go there just briefly. When we go to Genesis chapter 11, let me pull it up. And we read, uh, I'm going to actually go to chapter 10 first. Um, and we go to Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. It says, And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, and Put and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, uh, Seba, and Havilah, and uh, uh, Sabta, and Ramah, and Satikcha, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. So Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, we have the introduction of Nimrod. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. I Meaning he was conquering all the other peoples, all the other peoples of, of the earth, he was conquering them, uh, subduing them, forcing them into uh, his uh, dominion, all right, to his dominance. Uh, verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, but he is actually against the Lord. And it tells you now, uh, verse 10, Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Notice it said it's the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. And out of that land uh, went forth Ashur, and built Nineveh, and the city of Rabath, and Kalna, and rested between Nineveh and uh, Kala, the same as a great city. So this was the empire that Nimrod had established, all right? Babel. What I want to do is let's go to the internet. And where is the Tower of B.A.B. Babel located today? And it says the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel has not been identified, however, there is a Possibility that its remains might still be exist in the great temple of Nebo and Bishippa 
in modern-day Iraq. I just want to get to that part right there. It's in modern-day Iraq, all right? And if we look at the map, let me show you can find some maps. Sometimes I hate Google. Um, map of Iraq. Uh, so Iraq is just, just south of the Caspian Sea. Uh, it extends all the way to uh, the Persian Gulf, uh, next to Syria, and uh, I guess here, modern-day Egypt. But it, it's qu- quite an extensive land, and it was in modern-day Iraq, in this, in this area, where Nimrod first established his kingdom, being the kingdom of battle. Uh, let me see if I can find this also. Um, In a, how do we spell that? Nineveh. N i n e v e h. N i n e v e h. All right, Nineveh, the ancient city. Uh, city's ruins are located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, just opposite of the modern city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Nineveh was famous for, in the ancient world for being a center of worship of Ishtar. We're going to need that. Um, the fertility goddess is also known as uh, Nuna, a trade center. Nineveh was the crown jewel of Assyria, uh, a great Mesopotamian Mesopotamian civilization that ruled, that ruled most of what is now Iraq and parts of Turkey between the 14th and 7th centuries. Today, Nineveh is a common name for, for the half of Mosul uh, that lies on the eastern bank of the Tigris. So if y'all would like to look it up and try and get, get, get a mental picture or try to get an actual physical picture, um, uh, let, me say, let me slow down and say it like this. A lot of times when we read the Bible, because we don't do the research and we don't do the studying, and it's just pages, it's just, it's just words on, on a piece of paper in, in the Bible. It's God's word, but it's hard sometimes for us to, to, to visualize what things mean. It's hard for us to get a real comprehension of what's going on. So when we read Genesis chapter 10, and we're reading it at the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom, started at Babel, but it extended all the way um, uh, to resident between uh, Nineveh and Kala, the same as a great city, that this was an empire. This, this, this was some land. Basically, the whole, if you go look at the whole land of Iraq, that's what Nimrod controlled uh, while all peoples were still gathered together. All peoples weren't scattered and started to scatter um, at this time. That the earth's population, he was able to, to subdue all of them 
within this, his empire that he built up by conquering. And again, the, and the beginning of his empire was Babel uh, that extended all the way over to Nineveh, right, to the Tigris, uh, all the way to the Persian Gulf. This was an immense empire. This was a lot of land that he was in rulership of. Okay, I'm, I'm really trying. I'm taking a little time to try and bring this out, so that because again, sometimes it's hard for us to just understand or picture what the words of the Bible mean. That that we just can't really get, get it, it. Just it's just not there. So I'm really trying to hope I, I give enough uh, um, uh, expounding that we might start to understand just how significant this is. Now, remember, this is just after the flood. The earth, is, the earth is being, has been repopulated, and all peoples are gathered together. And Nimrod had the many cities that he was conquering, that he had conquered and established his kingdom called Babel, or was uh, scientists, uh, historians later on called Babylon, all right? Uh, when we go to – so we got that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. I hope everybody got that part and understands that uh, from Genesis 17 to verse 10. When we go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed uh, from the coast, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they, and they had brick for, for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So, uh, and, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Let us go down there, uh, and this they began to do. And now nothing will be, hit, be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the whole earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So the significance of this, from Genesis chapter 10, verse 7, was the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. We're understanding, we got a little, little uh, pre-knowledge now, uh, the, the pre-story, how to get his name, because this is where he had gathered all people, and that this is from where the Lord came down and divided all the languages. That's why it was called Babel or Babylon, which means confusion. But let us take examine what the mentality was uh, in verse 4, Genesis 7, verse 4. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name, lest we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. It's a little statement. It's a small fragment of a sentence. And let us make us a name. There is so much in that right there, brothers and sisters, that that was the mentality that, that Nimrod uh, dominated and ruled his empire. Where he had all peoples of the earth at this particular time um, submitted to his, his will, his worship, and his way of doing things, his, his philosophy and his doctrine to let us make a name for ourselves. So in looking at this and going into this, this is where they started to build a lot of great, huge uh, monuments. Uh, you might be familiar with, with the ziggurats, which are like huge temples scattered throughout the Middle East, um, similar to, to pyramids. But not like the pyramids you see in Egypt, even though 
that lends a lot to what uh, what Nimrod had going on in that that rulers and people wanted to build great big monuments to themselves, like the Sphinx, the the the, the pyramids, to where their name would last forever. That things they built and things they put together, that that their name would be remembered, even after they're dead, that their name would be remembered. Uh, you go back and can read some of the, like from the Egyptian hieroglyphs to there's other historical records of all of the nations at that time, how, of how men were doing things to be remembered. To, to, they were conquerors. They were brave. They were, uh, uh, they were giants, right? They were giants. And we've covered this in the past couple of series that we went over. I'm just hoping I can kind of straighten it up in my exposition right now. That this mi- mindset mentality was established by Nimrod, and that Nimrod was a mighty conqueror. Nimrod was a mighty, powerful conqueror, right? And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, right? In our last class, brothers, we, we was going over how this great man, Nimrod, who was a conqueror, and that we went and found out that in history, in other histories of other nations, the name Nimrod is not recorded, but that he did have another name from the other different languages that had started from the Tower of Babel. And that during his lifetime, he married a queen by an actual historical figure, a real historical figure named Shamurat, Shamurat. And Shamurat was a great conqueror herself. She was a, a powerful queen herself. Uh, but with, with Nimrod, they really established um, that Babylonian empire that reached all the way to Assyria. Those two really did. They really established a lot. But then Nimrod died. All right. And the last class we were covering, how in order for um, his queen or his wife to retain power after he died, she said that the spirit of her, her, her conquering, powerful husband, that his spirit uh, was in the heavens. All right. And that he became the sun. This is how the legend got, got, uh, began, and that from the son, that she was impregnated by him, that his spirit impregnated her from the son, that the, from the rays of the sun, she was impregnated uh, uh, with a child, uh, and that this child that, that she gave birth to was actually her husband reincarnated, that it was the spirit of her husband coming back, and that on uh, his birthday, Nimrod's birthday, her husband, this powerful, great conquering leader, that on the day of his birthday, uh, she saw a tree spring up out of a dead tree. Um, uh, And from this tree springing forth from this dead tree, that that was the spirit of her husband returned, and that gifts to be brought to this tree, gifts of gold, gifts of silver, uh, and the tree should be decorated. Um, And that his birthday actually happened to be December 25th. All right? Um, And this is as we did some of the timelines, about 2,600 years before Christ was even born, that there is this, 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 uh, this woman, historical figure, who, according to legend, in order for her to retain her dominion of their empire, said that her dead husband, spirit, had impregnated her, gave birth to a son, and that the son was, was actually her husband reincarnated. And that the, 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 father, the father, Nimrod, was also in the evergreen tree around December, and that gifts were to be brought to this tree. And if not, under the penalty of some, something bad happening to you, under the penalty of uh, or uh, that a blessing should be given, if you honored 
uh, bringing gifts to the tree and decorating the tree, that you might get a blessing. Uh, but if you, you were you were wrong or did something evil um, or were against the rulership of, of, of Nimrod's wife, who uh, was the historical figure Shemurat, but became known as Seramesis, that something would bad would happen to the spirit of her father, the spirit of her husband would come and, and bad things would happen to you during this time. And if that started going all the way back to this Tower of Babel, right, going all the way back to this Tower of Babel in order for Seramesis to uh, maintain dominion and rulership over, over their empire, okay? Um, then from last class, we started to get into... Um, uh, well, let me slow down. We've gone through other classes about Semiramis and about the, her son Tammuz in legend. Uh, and that over, over time, that the story of Nimrod and Semiramis was, was retold and uh, uh, the legend grew in other nationalities and in other histories under different names. To where we jumped, we jumped forward quite a bit in, uh, in history. We jumped all the way to uh, Paul writing a letter to Timothy. All right, and Paul wrote a letter to Timothy um, about, but well, he wrote two letters about some of the things that was happening in the city of Ephesus. The last class we just did, which was was part thirteen, the last part, last part of the series that we just did, which was the uh, True Birth of Christ, part thirteen. We covered that, Acts chapter 19. I don't want to go through the whole thing again, but I did want to, uh, uh, I want us to take a look at, uh, if you, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Now, please join me now and go into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. And I want to keep trying to tie the connection and get the significance, again, about Nimrod, after he died, how his wife, um, Ceramis, Ceramises, in order to retain power and rulership and dominion over everybody, uh, started the legend that her dead husband had come, uh, had um, his spirit had impregnated her, and that he was the 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 child that she gave birth to, who who by the way is named Tammuz, all right, and and that uh, on Nimrod's birthday, an evergreen tree popped uh, did appear, and that gifts were to be left under the tree, and the trees were to be decorated, okay? That whole worship goes back to Nimrod, his wife, Ceramus, and his son, Tammuz, right? So now we're 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, it says, O Timothy, keep that which is, is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Verse 21, which some professing have erred uh, concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So I wanted to go into to this right here, and let, let's try and, and, and uh, see if we can water this a little bit and bring up some more understanding to try and help us get, get the significance of what was started from the Tower of Babel, the beginning of, of Nimrod's kingdom, how it stretched all the way to, uh, through Assyria, the modern-day Iraq, and had all peoples of the earth under this influence, all right? And that before the language got divided, everybody had this influence, and even, even so, after the language got divided, this, this impact of what Nimrod and his wife, Serapis, and what they had done, 
had, had now resonated with all nations of the planet. And even though now different languages are being spoken, the same story, the same history, the same um, uh, legends were, were, were being told of the same events, all right? And now we get to Timothy, Paul writing this letter to Timothy, to avoid profane and vain battles and opposition of science, falsely called. Um, with some now doing vain battlings, with some now professing uh, some type of science that they might have, um, they have erred concerning the faith. All right. So I want to go to a, a, a commentary, and this is the John Gill Exposition of the Bible. The John Gill Exposition of the Bible for First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. Uh, you can look it up and, and read along. I'm going to read it right now, but you can look it up and read along as well uh, in your studies. So when the scripture says, keep that which committed to thy trust, here's the commentary from this scholar, all right, from this archaeologist um, historian named John Gill. He says, that is the gospel. And he references 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, meaning keep that which means that I trust the gospel, the word of God. Hold on to the word of God, which is a rich treasure put into earthen vessels and ought to be kept pure and uncorrupt. Do not let God's word, do not let the gospels, uh, let them be kept pure and be uncorrupt and reading on with the commentary and faithfully dispensed and diligently preserved that so that so it may be uh continued genuine and sincere and not be either adulterated or depraved or be taken away by false teachers we're going to find out brothers and sisters that why he's having to stress this so much this point about making sure that, that God's word is being dispensed faithfully, that it's not being corrupted, that it's being kept pure, all right, and that it's not being contaminated or depraved uh, by false teachers, all right? This is what this historian is letting us know. Reading on, reading on with uh, the commentary, it says, and it may also uh, include the gifts for the ministration of it, which were to be kept in use and stirred up and not to be neglected, but cultivated and improved to the advantage of the church and for the interest of Christ. Understood. When the scripture says, avoiding profane and vain babblings, here's the commentary. The, the, the profane and vain babblings about the law. There's no need to get into profane and vain babblings about the law and circumcision and other things which the false teachers insisted uh, much on and amused their hearers with and which were vain, empty, useless, and unprofitable talk. To, to, to argue about the law, don't go there. And a lot of people want to stop it right there. Yes, he lost them away. We're going to keep the law. That's not what Paul's referring to. That is not what Paul's referring to. We're going to read on with his commentary. It says some copies, and so the, the Vulgate Latin version read profane newnesses of words or new words which ought not to be introduced so well when we go back in and look at this translation look at this this scripture and other translations that the histo this historian did he said in other in the, in the latin vulgate it says uh to avoid uh profane newness of words or new words 
which ought not to be introduced. Don't bring in new doctrines. Meaning we have God's word going all the way back to the days of Moses. There is no need to bring in something new. We have the history, and we have the records going by from, from Moses to Joshua to, uh, uh, to, to, the, to the different authors of the, uh, from the book of, um, uh, of Judges, uh, the different authors of the book of King. We have the records. Don't bring in new stuff. We have God's word. Don't bring in new words. Remember where, where just, just on, on this point here, brothers and sisters, I might, might introduce this. Hopefully we're not lo- losing everybody. Um, remember where, where Moses warned us about this. I got to look this word. I got to look the scripture up. Um, do not add. When we go to Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verse 31, Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verse 31, this was one of the last warnings, one of the, the, the warnings of, of Moses to the children of Israel, right before we, uh, he's about to uh, uh, be taken, uh, about to perish, and we were going to stop our journey, the 40-year journey that we had in the wilderness, and we was about to now start to, to repossess the promised land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Take heed to thyself, that thou be not snared by following them, meaning the gods of other nations. After that, they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods. Don't find out how they worship their gods. Do not inquire how they worship their gods. It is not, well, I think your God, you call your God by one name, we call our God by another name. It's the same thing. Or he said, don't even inquire. Don't, don't, don't ask. Don't even bother yourself with how the other nations that I'm, that I'm bringing you and I'm giving you that land that, that they are squatters on, do not inquire how they worship their God. Don't even, work, don't, don't even get caught up with it. Saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so, will I do likewise. Don't y'all do, don't, if I'm kicking them out of this land, polluting the land, don't y'all come back and now pollute the land further with their gods. And how they worship their gods. Don't do with getting them kicked out. Verse 31. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. So he says, look, did y'all, I mean, I'm going to read this part again. I'm going to stress a few things. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. Why? For every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. Every last thing God finds an abomination. Every last thing God hates is what the nations were doing to their gods. Do not bring what they do how they do things, how the other nations think, and how they observe and honor and find sentimental things they do for their gods, do not bring that here to God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't bring that madness around. Don't. Verse, verse 32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. This was a warning that was given to, to our, our forefathers, 
to the 12 tribes of Israel right before we were entered into the promised land. All right? Do not add to God's word and don't take away from God's word. All right? This is a warning that we've been had. This is a warning that we've been had. When we read Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 2, we got another warning. Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So when Paul is writing this letter that, we, that we're reading in 1 Timothy, and he's exhorting Timothy uh, to avoid, uh, don't deal with uh, profane or vain babblings and science so falsely called, don't bring in new words. Don't bring in new, new, new doctrines or, or new philosophies. Or don't let false teachers bring in these new things and trying to add to God's word and trying to add to what we've already had from the days of Moses. Don't add to it. Don't bring in how these other peoples worship their gods, honor their gods, honor their whatever. Do not bring that when the Israelites, when we are dealing with the Lord, our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Don't add to God's word. There is no need. In Deuteronomy chapter, let me see here. When we read Revelations, I'm going to jump all to the book of Revelations now. This was, some, this was some of the last words that Christ gave us. He gave John the Revelator when he gave him the book of Revelations. Revelation 22, verse 18. And these are the words of Christ in red. So this is Christ speaking. And he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Verse 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So it's very serious, brothers and sisters. Do not add to God's word. Don't take away from it. God don't need your help. God didn't need no help from anybody else. Of Oh, I think this is what God really meant. I know the law says this, but you know what? I think it wouldn't be bad if we added this to, to you know, I find this sentimental to me. I find this kind of special. So, you know, I want to show God I love him. So, so I want to add to what, what, what he already established, as if he don't know what's going on, as if he really, you know, maybe he didn't know that because I thought I like this, I thought maybe because he loves me and I love him and I love this, then he would love it also, even though this is one of the things he already said he hates. This is what, one of the things he already said that he finds an abomination. But the fact that now I like it, that maybe now God will like it. That I love it, that maybe now God will love it. And that God might, you know, he might just be a little bit more open-minded. That God might be a little bit more open-minded to new things. Brothers and sisters, uh, let's not forget the book of Malachi. One second. Let's not forget, unless some people do, 
the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6. The book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord. I change not. God don't change. God didn't like it when it happened in the days of Adam, bringing something that he didn't want. God didn't like it when Cain brought a sacrifice that God didn't respect or want. God didn't, didn't change uh, because all the people in, 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 uh, in the promised land, all the nation of the promised land, so many guys that, uh, well, hell, if everybody's doing it, y'all do it. Let's just join in. God never changed. God doesn't change. So for Timothy to be giving this warning to Paul, or Paul's giving this warning to Timothy, avoid profane and vain babblings and science falsely called. And as we go into the vote lagging and, and get more an in-depth word study, don't bring in new things. Don't let false teachers bring in new doctrines that have nothing to do with God's word, that are, are, are trying to corrupt God's pure word. They're trying to contaminate God's pure word. Do not let these false teachers in. Stop them. Stop them. All right? Going back now to 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, verse uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, I'm going back to the commentary. All right? I'm going back to the commentary. So it says, when, when the scripture said, avoiding profane and vain babblings, this historian expounds the fairness about the law and circumcision and other things which the false teachers insisted uh, much on and amused their, their hearers with, and which were vain, empty, useless, and unprofitable talk. That all the talk that they were doing had nothing. It was empty. Had, it, it was useless. It, it was not going to be profitable at all in, get, <coughs> in getting us back right with God and dealing with our salvation. All that talk was, it was, was, was worthless. Reading on the commentary. Some copies of Paul's letter. And so the, the Vulgate Latin version of Paul's letter, the, the Latin Vulgate version of Paul's letter reads, profane newnesses of words. <clears throat> Do not bring in newness of words or new words, which ought not to be introduced. For they often bring in new doctrines, the form, uh, the form of such words, the wholesome words of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, um, so they often bring in new doctrines, the form or of sound words. So they bring in new doctrines, and it seems like what they're saying makes sense. It seems like some sound words. That all this talking and, 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 and all these new things they're bringing in, that people get caught up into these things, and God's word gets pushed to the wayside. Paul is warning Timothy, do not let these false teachers bring this crap in. He didn't say crap. That was my word. Reading on. It says, um, the form of sound words, the wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the words which the Holy Spirit teaches should be held fast. Do not bring in these other doctrines. Hold on to God's word and especially all new words, should be avoided, which are contrary to them, or in the least weaken them, or detract from them. Don't bring in anything that's going to detract from the true word of God. Going all the way back to the days of Moses, 
Don't bring in these new things. We're going to find out. We're going to examine a little more. Why is Paul so adamant about this with Timothy? Reading on. Now, when the scripture says, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, an opposition of science falsely so-called. That's what the scripture says. Now, let's get where this historian gives some um, explanation to what the scripture says. The false teachers boasted of their science and knowledge. Did y'all catch that? The false teachers boasted of their science and knowledge, but it was not true, solid, spiritual, and saying it was not an experimental knowledge of the gospel. For everything they was bringing out, that for people who were not studying God's word, trying to keep God's pure word, what they were saying made sense. All they're talking and running their mouth, that the simple believe in that madness. But why did I say that? Let me get one scripture real quick. Um, S-I-M-P-L-E-W-O-R-D. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, it says, the simple believe in every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Let me pull this up. Let me pull this up. I'm going to compare this. I'm going to look at this scripture in, in other versions. Because this was essentially what Paul was trying to teach Timothy to learn about these false teachers, bringing in something that is opposite of what God's word goes all the way back to the days of Moses. Do not let them bring in this other stuff, even though they are great talkers, even though they can run their mouth exquisitely. Do not let them get started. Because of, for even the records that Paul had, that the Jews had, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15 tells us what? The simple believeth every word. You know that these guys start talking and running their mouths? And because studying of God's word wasn't being done, the research of God's word wasn't being done, that all these things that these men were coming, these false teachers were coming up with, it was starting to make some sense. It was like, oh, I can see how that worked. I can see that. All right. When we compare Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, it says, um, let me see here. Um, where's the Bible? Um, the Bible of English says, the simple man has faith in every word, but the man of, of good sense gives thoughts to his footsteps. Before you get me walking down this path, I'm going to think about what you're saying. I like not just faith in that because you said it or because it's being said. I'm going to go with it, especially with something new, something that, has, that when it comes to God's word, that thing has never been taught. All right? That's the Bible based in English, what we have for the CEV, the Common English Version Bible. Oh, the Common English Version Bible for Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. Don't be stupid and believe all you hear. Be smart and know where you're headed. Don't let these false teachers, now, these are the teachers that Paul had. Do not let these false teachers bring in new doctrines, new words, new, new, new theories. Don't be stupid and believe all that they're saying. Go prove it. Go match it with God's word. Everything you see the Israelites doing, that we, we, that we challenge people, that we tell people, 
Prove all things. First Thessalonians five twenty one. Prove it. If the Bible don't say it, why are you holding on to it? Don't be stupid. If people are in the pulpits. They're in all these places and doing all this talking. And just because doing a lot of talking, got a lot of people, doesn't mean they're right. Prove it in God's word. Words that say that in God's word. If you believe it, then you're stupid. This is what the Bible said. This is God's word saying that. All right. Um, I'm going to get the good news and we're going to get back. The good news Bible says a fool will believe everything. Smart people watch their step. I'm, uh, where, where are you walking me to? Where are you trying to get me to go? Where are you trying to get me to believe? Something that you've said, some, some, your, your science, some knowledge that you think you got, but it goes contrary to the word of God? That that's something new. What you're bringing, that is that, what you're bringing, what, what people, false teachers bring up, we go back and, and look, did Abraham ever do the things that false teachers might bring up? Did Isaac ever do the things that a false teacher might bring up? Did Jacob ever do the things that a false teacher might bring up? Did Jesus ever do the things that a false teacher might bring up? Did the disciples ever do some of the false things that a false teacher might bring up? Then show me the scriptures where these things were done. We briefly went over the history of, of, of uh, Christmas trees, how they were actually Nimrod trees, and we went through the, the history of that and just show the facts about that. Show me in the Bible, and this is where the challenge comes out, show me the Bible where Jesus commissioned a tree to be put up for his birthday. And I can find it. Show us where at Christ's resurrection that Brother Tazapak covered um, two shows ago. It has been covered, been covered two shows ago. When Christ resurrected, when Christ died Thursday around 3 p.m. and rose sometime after uh, Saturday night before Sunday morning, where was a rabbit to start laying eggs? And when did the, when did the disciples call Christ's resurrection Easter? Where is that? Where is that? For that fact, where did anybody in the Bible celebrate birthdays? Who celebrated birthdays in the Bible? Was it the Jews, the Israelites, or was it the other nations, the heathen? Just some of the things that are like, like we, there's a lot of customs, a lot of things that people observe, but where is that in the scriptures? And yes, we're going to tie this in, brother. Says we are definitely going to tie this into this relationship between Nimrod, his wife, their son, and how their worship and their legends have spread throughout history, even into into modern times today. That their legend, the things that they've done, and their worship, which is contaminated, they mean every history, every nation on the planet Earth. Even to this very day, when we go back and we actually read the word of God and we stick to the word of God, those things never happened. God was never with that. It is not to be dealt with. One of them being that this woman was impregnated by the spirit of her dead husband who was in the sun. And that the child she gave birth to 
was a divine child who had the power of his father. This is, this is what it's going to, brothers and sisters. This is what it's going to. So Paul had to give this warning, this exhortation to Timothy. All right? Reading on with the, with the, with the commentary, hence the title of our show. Um, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, oh, no, I forgot a big part right here. So when the scripture says, an opposition of science falsely called, so-called, this historian, John Gill, tells us this. The false, the false teachers boasted of their science and knowledge, but it was not true, solid, spiritual, or saving. It was not an experimental knowledge of the gospel. It, it, was, it wasn't what, what Christ taught. Reading. It was not the excellent knowledge of Christ, which has eternal life connected with it. It was merely notional and speculative. It was idle, empty, and useless. Mere pagan philosophy. Did y'all catch that? And when it says the uh, opposition of science so falsely called, that this knowledge that these falsies were, were boasting was mere pagan philosophy. That there, 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 there was this thing where false teachers were trying to intertwine pagan philosophy with the words of God. They were trying to bring in how other people worship their gods into how Christ and the Father should be worshipped should be honored. And that these new things that they were bringing in that had nothing to do with God's word was absolutely useless. Reading on. It says it was a mere pagan philosophy and vain deceit upon which they formed antithesis or oppositions and objections to the truths of the gospel. That by bringing in these pagan philosophies, it formed oppositions and objections to the truth of the gospel. That with the introduction of these pagan philosophies, now to go over the truth of the gospels and what the word gospel truly meant from God's perspective and what it meant to the Hebrew Israelites, now people come and argue that the truth of the gospel is incorrect. They'd be ready to oppose and object to the truth of the Gospels because they're hanging on to some of this corrupted, useless, idle uh, knowledge originated from pagan philosophies. It says, um, from mere pagan philosophy and vain deceit upon which they formed antithesis or oppositions and objections to the truths of the gospel and even opposed themselves and the word of God as well as the faithful ministers of it. Y'all catch that? They opposed themselves and the word of God, holding on to these pagan philosophies, these vain deceits that were introduced as if it had something to do with the word of God. This historian goes on to say this. Knowledge is not determined by a show of hands. 
I'm going to read that part again. I, I love that. Knowledge is not determined by a show of hands. Even though the majority of people believe something that does not make it true. I'm going to read that again. Knowledge is not determined by a show of hands. Even though the majority of people believe something, that that does not make it true. The majority today do not believe in Noah's flood. Peter told us that from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. It was so in Noah's day also. A lot of people today don't believe in, in, in Noah's flood. And how many people back during the days of Noah didn't believe in, that there was going to be rain either? How many people thought that Noah's teaching and what he was doing was a waste of time and he was a fool? He was a buffoon. He was an idiot. How many of those people who thought that survived the flood? Reading on, it was so in Noah's day also, but the unbelievers all drowned. Many fervently believe in evolution and try to compare the scriptures with it. This verse stands as a stark warning to those who do not try everything through God's word. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20. To allow to the testimony. And they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. That the customs, traditions, and things that people are observing today, is that really God's word? Sunday worship, is that God's word? Christmas, Easter, is that God's word? Birthdays and birthday cakes, is that God's word? Is that God's word? If somebody is speaking and is not matching God's word, the light of God, God has not revealed his light to them. They don't know what they're talking about when it comes to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? These were the warnings of Paul to Timothy. But why? But why? That was First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Let's go to... First Timothy, chapter one. We're going to read verses one through four. Let's let's take a, let's look a little bit deeper into this to what Paul had been writing to Timothy, and why he was writing these things. All right, First Timothy, chapter one, verses one through four. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they, they teach no other doctrine. So, Paul left Timothy at Ephesus and told Timothy, do not let anyone else teach any other doctrine. As we just read from the, 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 the historian expounding, don't bring in pagan philosophies. 
They'll bring in a newness of words or traditions and adding to God's word or taking away from God's word to follow these vain things, these worthless things. Charge them. Again, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Verse 4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Do not bring in these strange doctrines, these new philosophies, and intertwine it with God's word, because that's going to bring up a lot of questions. Instead of godly edifying, instead of having faith in the word of God, People's minds are going to follow all these other things. Reading on. Let's go to, let's jump now to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I know I'm jumping now. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the second letter that Paul wrote to, to, to Timothy. This, this is how, this was something going on in Ephesus. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they reap unto the heap unto themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth as it return unto fables. Why was this so, so prevalent? So why was Paul having warned this so much? Well, if you cut our, our, our part 13 of our series that we went over, we read Acts chapter 19. We read Acts chapter 19. Um, Just to recap, hopefully as quickly as possible, Acts 19, verse 21, it says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, uh, saying, After I have done, done that, been there, I must see Rome, verse 22. So he went into Macedonia. Two of them that ministered to him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So we're seeing that as Paul was traveling, he left Timothy and Erastus at, uh, in Macedonia as he went on to Asia, verse 23. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which had several, uh, which, I'm sorry, a silversmith, I'm sorry. Um, verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen to the, uh, of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul 
have persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made of, of, of hands, made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be said at night, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed from all Asia and the world worship it. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the, of the Ephesians. And the whole city was, held, was filled with confusion and having uh, cut Gaius and Aristotrius, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions um, in travel, they rushed with one accord into the, into the theater. So in Ephesus, in Ephesus, Ephesus was a major center for the worship of the goddess Diana. Ephesus was a major center for the worship of the goddess Diana, the pagan goddess Diana, okay? Um, and it, it was, it was uh, the worship of the goddess Diana was throughout all Asia, as we just read. All Asia and Europe, they were worshiping Diana, the goddess Diana, especially at Ephesus. So in understanding that the whole city was dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana, this is why Paul was warning Timothy, do not let Paul teachers come in, come in and bring in these other philosophies. Do not let them come in and now try to mingle God's word with their pagan philosophies, with their worthless traditions. Do not let them bring in their pagan uh, ideals and intertwine it with God's word. That's new. These pagan ideas is new. God's word is older than these pagan ideas. Do not bring in these other ideas. Because the times will come that people will now stop listening for the truth of the word of God and, and want false teachers. False teachers that are going to tell them all the worthless useless, unprofitable words, stories, fables that have absolutely nothing to do with God and his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do not let them bring these other pagan things in, especially because you're here at Ephesus, a major center for the goddess Diana. Okay? So let's go ahead and now jump to, let's go to, uh, got that, got that. Now let's go to, now join me, please, brothers and sisters. I'm going to the, the Encyclopedia of Theological, Biblical, and Ecclesiastical Literature. All right? Um, the Encyclopedia of Theological, Biblical, and Ecclesiastical Literature. And we're looking up Diana. All right? The Encyclopedia of Theological, Biblical, and Ecclesiastical Literature. And we're looking up Diana, all right? Now, reading from this encyclopedia, reading from this encyclopedia, Diana is the Artemis of the Greeks and Diana of the Romans. So the goddess Diana is the same as Artemis, the goddess Artemis that was worshipped by the Greeks. And that, that, uh, 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 And she's the same as Diana of the Romans, all right? 
the Artemis of the Greeks and Diana of the Romans is a goddess known under various modifications and with almost incompatible, incomparable, no, incompatible attributes that this worship of Diana of the Romans or Artemis of the Greeks, this goddess was known under various modification, modifications and with almost incompatible attributes. According to the Homeric accounts and Hesodiad, she was the daughter of Jupiter and Latona, Latona, born in the same time with Apollo at Delios. So the god, the Roman god Apollo is Diana's twin brother, right? The Roman god Apollo is Diana's twin brother, and their father is the god Jupiter and their mother, the goddess Latona. At the tutelary divinity of Ephesus, in which character alone she concerns us here, she was undoubtedly a representative of the same power presiding over the conception and birth, which was adored in Palestine under the name of Ashtoreth. Under the, so we're finding out now that Artemis, Diana, from Acts 9, 24, it, the goddess Diana of the Romans is the same as Artemis of the Greeks, and that in, the, in Palestine and Canaan went by the name Ashtoreth. Now, I'm going to look this up. That's something I didn't do. Let's look at like, how many times Ashtoreth come up in the Bible. Let me get back here. It's the King James Apocryphal. Oh, okay. All right. Ashtoreth comes up three times in the King James Bible. All right. When we go to First Kings, First Kings chapter one, verse fifteen, eleven, verse 15, verse five. First Kings chapter eleven, verse five. It says, "For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians." After Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So here we see King Solomon. Part of the reason that the nation kingdom was the nation of Israel was split into two separate kingdoms, that Solomon worshipped the goddess Ashtoreth of the Zidonians. Who we just found out from this encyclopedia that the goddess Diana is the same as the goddess Artemis, who is the same now as who as the goddess Ashtoreth. All right. Uh, when we jump out in the same chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Hamash, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked after my ways to do that which is right in my eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments as David, his father. This is part of the judgment on Solomon that now the kingdom is going to be split in two and has not been the same since. All right? Um, and when we go to 2 Kings, chapter 23, verse 13, it says, And the high places that were before Jerusalem, uh, which were on the uh, right hand of the Mount of, the, uh, of Corruption, 
which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built it for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Hamas, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. So this king was, let me pull it up real quick. Josiah, all right? And the brother of one of the eyes has done an excellent series on the history of Josiah. Um, go check out his Sabbath classes at Sword of Truth, uh, Sword of Truth, San Antonio, Texas, on YouTube. Go through the archives, and you'll see where he talks about Josiah. Um, and not just Josiah, but it was after he died when his son came into power. How his son went back to worshiping and doing these things that, that brought us down in the first place. All right? So, getting back to my notes. So we just, we're finding out, if we're, if, and I might be going fast, so I hope you're able to keep along, keep up. We're finding out that Diana, from Acts chapter 19, was the goddess, uh, the goddess Diana, was her main, one of her main centers of worship was at Ephesus. We're also finding out that the goddess Diana is the same as Artemis of the Greeks. And that um, in Palestine, or in, in the Promised Land, that she, she was called Astoreth. The Astoreth is Diana is Artemis. All right? Pagans. Reading on now. As, uh, to, with the Encyclopedia of Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature, I'm reading on. It says, uh, she is therefore related to all the cognate deities of that Asiatic Juno, of that Asiatic Juno Venus, and partakes at least of their connection with the moon. The worship of the goddess Diana is therefore related, Diana, Artemis, and Astoreth, is, is related to all the cognate deities of the Asiatic Juno Venus and partakers at least of their connection with the moon. The dealing of the Juno, the planets and the stars and the moon, the worship of the moon and of the stars, like you know, the zodiac, all this goes back to Astoreth, who is the same as Diana, goddess Diana of the Romans, who is the same as Artemis of the Greeks. And every queen of heaven or queen, uh, queen of heaven or moon goddess worship is all dealing with the same deity but under different names. Reading on with the, 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 uh, the encyclopedia um, definition, Cruiser has combined a number of testimonies in order to show how her worship was introduced into Ephesus from the coast of the Black Sea and endeavors to point out the, uh, the several Medio Persian, Egyptian, Libyan, Scythian, and Christian elements of which she is compounded. What these researchers have put together is that the worship of the goddess Diana has its origins going back to Medio Persia. That was Medio Persia is the Median Persian Empire. 
that goes back to the East Indians, all right? That the, the, the God, gods and goddesses within the East Indian religion, or East, East, Indian, East India, India, Hajinim, their gods of, of, are the same as Ashtoreth, Diana, as Artemis. But not only just Medo Persia, going back to even Egypt, that the Egyptians had a worship of their gods and goddesses, and that they're the same as Ashtoreth, the same as Artemis, and the same as the goddess Diana. But not just the Egypt, you know, where we get Isis from, but also Libyan, also Scythian, and Christian elements of which she is a compound. So we have all these histories from all these nationalities that we're finding out, we're seeing that this, they all basically worship the same pagan goddesses, gods, the sun, moon, and stars, including the zodiac, that all that is the same and is pagan. And we're seeing that Paul was warning Timothy, do not let false teachers come in and bring this crap to what the Most High is going on, to the word of God. Because the time is going to come that people will believe more in that than they'll believe in the word of God. The time will come where they're going to try to make all these connections to all these, these, these insignificant, worthless knowledge. And they think they're saying something. But when it comes to the word of God, it means nothing, no matter how, how, how sentimental it might be to them. Reading on, reading on. Um, from the Cyclopedia of, of, of Biblical, of uh, the Cyclopedia of Theological, Biblical, and Ecclesiastical Literature. Reading on. It says, the Arabic version of the, uh, of the Acts renders Artemis in the chapter. So the Arabic version of the Bible, of, of, of uh, the book of Acts in Arabic, it didn't call her, it didn't call her Diana. When you read the Arabic version of this, it calls her Artemis. All right? In the chapter cited by uh, Azumat, which is the Arabic name for the, the planet Venus. It's the Arabic name for the planet Venus. You know, the, uh, uh, the goddess, meaning the goddess of love, the goddess of women, the goddess of sex, you know, the goddess of Valentine's Day. From certain Ephesian uh, coins, which represent her seated upon her favorite deer. They, so in Ephesus, this was, this was so bad that on their money, they had the goddess Venus as a woman, who we're going to find out is the goddess of nature, had her sitting on the deer in her connection to Mother Nature. That's, I'm jumping ahead of the story, but this is what this is related to. This is how bad this worship was in Ephesus, that Paul was like, Timothy, do not let these false teachers bring this in. The worship of Venus, of, of Artemis, of Ashtoreth, and the worship of the sun, moon, stars. Don't let them bring this in. Do not let them bring this in and intertwine it 
because people will fall for this more than they're going to fall for it more than they're going to be about the word of God. Do not let false teachers bring these things in. Reading on. It says, uh, from certain Ephesian coins, which represent her seated upon her favorite deer, and in other rustic positions, it appears that she was identical with the virgin huntress of earlier mythology. I hope we were catching this. That now we're finding out Venus, Astoreth, um, uh, who is this? Isis, uh, uh, whatever the Hindu gods are, um, Diana, Artemis, that they're all associated or identical with the virgin huntress of the earlier mythology. Who was this, who was this virgin huntress of earlier mythology? Ceramicus. Or her actual historical name, Samuel Murat. That after her husband died from the empire that they had built and established in Babylon and Assyria, in order for her to keep power, her, the spirit of her husband was in the sun. The rays of the sun came down, and that spirit impregnated her, and she gave birth to a divine child who was her, her, her powerful husband reincarnated, and that in homage to him, gifts were to be brought to the evergreen tree on his birthday, December 25th. And that in this mythology, that goes back to that, became the worship of the sun, moon, and stars, the queen of heaven. And y'all remember we covered that birthday cake, not even just birthday cakes, but that's a good example. Why do people, why do we light candles and blow them out on our birthday or, or any occasion? Because the candles represent the illumination of the full moon. When the moon is full, the candles that are put on a cake, which is usually round, like the moon, that you blow these candles out, and that's supposed to represent, first off, the candles being lit is the illumination of the full moon in honor of the queen of heaven, in honor of all these other goddesses, in honor of all this other paganism, going back to its origins with Nimrod and his wife, Seramis, and their son, Tammuz. And she being a virgin associated with nature, associated with animals. The grosser feature of her worship being apparently borrowed from association with the voluptuous regions of the East. It says the grosser, the, the, meaning the major feature of her worship being apparently borrowed from association with the voluptu voluptuous religions of the East. When you travel east, going, going further and more into Asia, you're going more into India, reaching all the way over to China and, and all their different gods, whatever, that all that, all those different worships, all those different people or goddesses and stuff started going back to who? Nimrod and Ceramicus. Yeah. That, that you find out in all, every, I mean, every nation, 
they've got a rendition or a, 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 a belief of a virgin being powerful, being impregnated by the spirit of something or someone powerful, and that it's a representation of the moon and of the star, sun worship, the sun god Ra. Tazpah going over about what the Ankh means. That all these things have their origins going back to Nimrod and Ceramicus. And that over, over the centuries, this madness has corrupted the word of God. That makes people not want to fight and be opposed to the truth of the gospel because of all these other traditions and customs that have been allowed to come in. Reading on, uh, it says, Ghoul, indeed, goes in another, another historian, Ghoul, indeed, endeavors and almost all points to identify her with the true Greek goddess. In some respects, there, there was doubtless a fusion of the two. Diana was the goddess of, of rivers, of pools, and of harbors. And these continuous and these conditions are satisfied by the situation of the sanctuary at Ephesus. So again, all these goddesses with getting out Diana, she was associated with, the, with uh, what did it say right here? Beyond being a huntress and nature, well, like, like I said, with nature, but the goddess of rivers and of pools and of harbors. Anybody ever wonder why they got the Statue of Liberty standing there at New York City Harbor? And that her crown has seven points to her crown? which represents the seven points of the sun. And everybody's been conditioned to call that the Statue of Liberty? No, it can't be. Can't be. Diana was the goddess of rivers and pools and of harbors. And these conditions are satisfied by the situation of the sanctuary at Ephesus, where Paul had left Timothy and Erastus to, to try and teach our people at Ephesus. A major worship of this goddess, Artemis, Venus, Diana. Reading on. Carosos, uh, one of the hills on which the city stood, is connected by Stephanus Byzantius. Uh, Jump me down, jump me down. It says, Ghoul indeed, almost all the way down. Ghoul indeed supposes this mode of representation to have reference simply to the fountains over which the goddess presided. Conceiving the multiplication of breasts to be similar to the multiplication of eyes in Argus or of the heads of uh, uh, Tyophis. Testis, y'all. Statues that were made to the goddess, to the goddess Venus, Artemis, um, and Diana, Ostereth, had her with multiple breasts. We can see that statue 
going all the way over to, to India. We can see a statue like that being honored by another name all the way in China, all the way in Japan, all over Asia, all over Asia and Asia Minor. That that goddess who has different names, that statue has spread around the whole entire earth. This statue having multiple breasts. I'm reading on. Uh, which is similar to uh, the, the multiplication of eyes in, in Argus or of uh, heads in Triophis, but the correct view is undoubtedly that which treats this particular form as a symbol of the reproductive and nutritive uh, powers of nature. The association with Mother Nature. This is the form under which the Ephesian Diana, also called for distinction, was always represented wherever worshipped, and the worship extended to many places, such as Samos, uh, Mytilene, uh, Perga, Hierapolis, and Gortinia. To mention those only which occur in the New Testament or the Apocrypha, we can read these names, what they're saying, we can find these names, these places in the New Testament where her worship was honored. Josephus mentions a very rich, rich fame of hers at Elymas in Persia. Her most noted temple was at Ephesus. Here also, as in the temple of Apollo at Daphne, were the, were the privileges of asylum. All right, jumping down. The temple, you know, that liberty, we were just talking about the Statue of Liberty, that if you make it here, you can get asylum, you can get liberty from, and protection from, by this goddess. Reading on, the temple had a large revenue from in, in endowments of various kinds. I hope we're hearing some of this, y'all. The temple at Ephesus had a large revenue from endowments of various kinds. Didn't we just read in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, how Demetrius, a silversmith who built uh, shrines to, uh, to, to, uh, got to, to Diana, had got together all the other wealthy, uh, wealthy merchants who also dealt in, the, in the, uh, the worship of the goddess Diana, and how they got their wealth from this? How many millions of people were into this worship? It says that the temple had a large revenue from endowments of various kinds. It was also the public treasury of the city. The temple was the public treasury of the city and was regarded as the safest bank for private individuals. Did y'all hear that? What this insight, what these these researchers, these true scholars, these architects and these historians have gotten this information and compiled. It was also the public treasury of the city and was regarded as the safest bank 
for private individuals. All right? Let me get a couple other secular um, sources, a couple other secular sources. Going to Myths of Babylonia and Assyria by Donald A. Uh, McKenzie from 1915. So you can look this up also. You can look this up also where, I, where we're going. Myths of Babylonia and Assyria by Donald A. McKenzie, and this book was published in 1915. I like finding all these older reference books. I really do. I really, really do. Um, and you can also find this at uh, sacredtext.com, right? at sacredtext.com. And we're going to page 417, chapter 18, The Age of Semiramis. Now, what we're about to read right now, brothers and sisters, or what the, from the research that they have done, all the different names, not even all, a lot of different names that Ceramus went by. A lot of different names that Ceramus went by is known by. Queen Samuel Ramach, the original of Ceramus. And, and yes, remember, Samuel Marat was the actual historical figure. Of, of the one of the very first uh, of the very first Assyrian Empire, who was married to Nimrod. Yes. So, Semiramis also is Queen Samu Ramat, the original of Semiramis. Another name, Mother Right, among Mother worshippers, making the woman uh, making the mother a goddess. And worshiping the mo- worshiping the mother, like Mother's Day. Worshiping the mother goes back to Semiramis. Semiramis uh, uh, compared to Queen Tui. Queen Tui, a popularity of goddesses uh, of cults. All right, temple worship and domestic worship. Ceramic is connected with temple worship and domestic worship. Babylonian culture influenced in Assyria. Babylonian culture, going back to Nimrod, Tower of Babel, that influenced Assyria, where his kingdom extended to. Um, ethical tendency in Shamash worship. Shamash is sun worship. Reading on. The Nebo of religious revolt. This is what Ceramus is associated with. The At Revolt in Egypt. The Royal Assyrian Library. The fish goddess of Babylonia in Assyria. The fish goddess in Babylon and Assyria. Remember the goddess of water, waterways, rivers? The fish goddess. You know, the, the hat on top of the pope? That hat on top of the Pope is actually, you go research it, is a hat to the god Dagon, a fish god, that the Pope wears. Fish goddess of Babylonia in Assyria. The Ceramicists and uh, Shakuntala stories. So anybody hear about Ceramicists or Shakuntala stories? Related to Ceramus. The mock king and queen. Check this out, y'all. The mock king and queen. 
Ceramus is also known as the what? Dove goddess of Assyria. I, I, I'm going to do this. I hope this doesn't get this show canceled. <laughs> Ceramus is known as the dove goddess of Assyria. Where am I at? Where am I at? Where am I at? I'm going to play this for educational purposes only. I'm going to play uh, in the background when doves cry, which which is owned by Prince and his estate. I'm going to play this not for for profit for any any other purposes, and for educational purposes only. All right? I'm going to play this in the background. Many of us are familiar with this song, right? I'm going to let it play in the background for educational purposes only. So, Ceramesis is known as the dove goddess, goddesses of Assyria. That's plural. Ceramesis is known as the dove goddesses of Assyria, which also relates to the goddess Venus, the goddess Diana, the goddess Artemis, the goddess Ashtoreth, the goddess the, uh, Queen T. Any other mother worshippers, mother right, is all relating back to Ceramus, this pagan deity. Reading on. Uh, the dove goddesses of Assyria, Phoenicia, and Cyprus. Let me turn this down just a little bit. Again, I want this for educational purposes, but I want it just in the background. Maybe that can be heard in the background. Again, for educational purposes only. For educational purposes only. Ceramicus is the dove goddesses of Assyria, Phoenicia, and Cyprus. Ceramicus is also Ishtar's dove. When Ishtar is in her dove form, Ishtar, which relates back to Ishtar, which relates back to Easter. That the Easter bunny... With the, the Easter bunny is dealing with fertility. That's why if you happen to use the, the bunny uh, uh, on his uh, magazine, his playbook magazine, because that goes back to the worship of this goddess, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex, the goddess of love, the goddess of nature. It starts the reading on. Reading on. Um, it starts off. St. Valentine's Day beliefs. Ceramicus goes back to St. Valentine's Day beliefs. <laughs> Sacred doves of the Cretans. Yeah, I, I, was, I was shocked. That's why I'm saying uh, my doves cry in the background for education purposes only. Not understanding how many references. How many references 
to doves, nature, that this pagan worship is related to. <laughs> Sacred doves of the Cretans, Hittites, and Egyptians. Um, pigeon lore in Great Britain and Ireland deities associated with various animals. The Ptolemaic theory, common element in ancient goddess cults. Influence of agricultural beliefs. Nebu, a form of Ea, which, which is going to lead to Gaia, the, the mother goddess, the mother of the earth, mother nature. His spouse, uh, Testament, a love goddess and interceder. Traditions of famous mother deities. Adad Namari, the fourth, the savior of Israel. Expansion of the Eucharian Empire. Its famous kings. Decline and fall of Assyria's Middle Empire dynasty. Reading up from this book, um, it says, during the reign of Adad Namari the fourth, the Assyrian court uh, radiated Babylonian culture and traditions. So he, he's, he's now going back into history and, sh and showing how this touched a lot of history. Then now this cat, Adu Namari the fourth from the Assyrian Empire, really, it, it, it had a lot of Babylonian influence and traditions. It says the king not only re, uh, recorded his descent from the first Shalmaneser, but also claimed to be a descendant of Bel Capu and earlier, but uh, to us unknown Babylonian monarch, the great-great-grandfather of Hammurabi. Bel Capu was reputed to have been an overlord of Assyria. So this king is claiming, claiming lineage, going back to a powerful overlord of Assyria. Guess who this bell winds up being? Nimrod. This king was trying to, try to attach his lineage to Nimrod. Going back to Ceramus, going back to Tammuz. All right? Apparently, uh, Adad Namari desired to be regarded as the legitimate heir to the throne of Assyria and Babylonia. Where would he get that from? To be the, the, the legitimate heir of Assyria and Babylonia? Which started with Nimrod? Come on, y'all. His claim upon the latter country must have had a substantial basis. It is not too much to assume that he was a son of a princess of the ancient royal family, Samuel Ramat. It is not too much to assume that he was a son of a princess of this ancient royal family, Samuel Ramat, where we get some Ramesses from. Gemini page 420. Gemini page 420. It says, uh, may therefore have been his mother. Samuel Murat, Samuel Ramat, Ceramuses, may have been his mother. As for historical figures, all right, she could have been called his wife in a mythological sense. The king having become husband of his mother. Are y'all hearing this? That he was the husband of his mother. 
Remember they started the tradition that once Nimrod dies, in order for Simon Ramah to keep, keep the power, in order for Simon Ramah to keep rulership, keep the, the dominion, that the spirit of her powerful, powerful husband had impregnated her, her husband, and that the child was her husband come back. So now the child is the husband of his mother. Reading on. The incarnations of the great mother and the son who displaced, who, who displaced his sire. That someone being a descendant of, 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 I'm sorry, of, what was this fool's name? Uh, Dad uh, Nirari, that he was uh, a descendant of Samurai, and he was the incarnation of the great mother and the son who displaced his sire, who displaced his father. After the father died, the son, being the husband of, of, of the mother, was now still in rulership. The worship of the great mother was the popular religion of the indigenous peoples of Western Asia. I, I'm, I'm, I'm much to please hear this. The worship of the great mother was the popular religion of the indigenous peoples of Western Asia, including parts of Asia Minor, Egypt, and Southern and Western Europe. It appears to have been closely associated with agricultural rights practiced among representative communities of the Mediterranean race. In Babylonia and Assyria, the people of the goddesses cult fused with the peoples of the god cult, but the prominence um, maintained by Ishtar, who absorbed many of the old mother deities, testifies to the persistence of immemorial habits of thoughts and antique religious ceremonies among the descendants of the earliest settlers in the Tigro-Euphrates Valley. The Tigris-Euphrates Valley, Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, where Babylon, the first, this empire that Nimrod first established and first built, they're saying that all these mother deities and, and, and aspects of all these other religious ceremonies among the descendants of the earliest, set, the earliest settlers of the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, which, which would be the, between the, the Tigris and Euphrates River, where Babel was, the, the empire of Babel was, that reached all the way over to Assyria, had its start here. Merodach's spouse, uh, Serpentina, was not a shadowy deity, but a goddess who exercised as much influence as her divine husband. This goddess exercised as much influence as her divine husband. The husband died, but how could this woman maintain power? How could this woman maintain rulership? Her, her dead husband will now come back as her son. As uh, Aruru, Aruru, she took part with him in the creation of mankind. In Asia Minor, the mother goddess was overshadowed by the father god during the period of the Hatti uh, predominance. But her worship was, was revived after the earlier people along the, the coast and in the agricultural valleys were freed from the yoke of the father god worshipers. So 
You had the mother goddess worship going on. It ended for a while, and, and the focus was put like on the father god. But then it came back to the mother goddess worship. Reading on. It must be recognized in this connection that an official religion was not always a full reflection of popular beliefs. In all the great civilizations of antiquity, it was invariably a compromise between the beliefs of the military aristocracy and the masses of mingled peoples over whom they had sway. I hope you heard that. A lot of times, it wasn't just a religious connection. There was a military connection to the worship of the mother goddess, the huntress, the virgin huntress. There, that there was a military connection, a political connection to the mother huntress. It wasn't just religious. Going back to who? Ceramus or Samuel Murat, who was a mighty conquering queen. Read on. Temple worship had therefore a political aspect. It was intended, among other things, to strengthen the position of the ruling classes. That the worship of, of the mother goddess, the honoring of the mother goddess, was to strengthen the position of ruling classes. That they would associate themselves with ceramicists. They would associate themselves with uh, her politically to stay in rulership. But ancient deities can still be worshipped and were worshipped in homes and fields, in groves, and on mountaintops, as the case might be. Check this out. Jeremiah has testified to the persistence of the folk practices in connection with the worship of the mother goddess among the inhabitants of Palestine. We've been over that, even touched probably over that. That's Jeremiah chapter 44. Reading on, sacrificial tree, I'm sorry, sacrificial fires were lit and cakes were baked and offered to the queen of heaven in the streets of Jerusalem and other cities. In Babylonia and Egypt, domestic religious practices were never completely uh, supplanted by temple ceremonies in which rulers took an apparent part. So, it said not only was it, you had the, the temples where these goddesses and uh, were worshipped, but did y'all catch where it said it'd be practiced in the homes? That it didn't necessarily have to be such a public affair, but how this type of worship to baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven was practiced in people's homes, even in Jerusalem? Go back and read Jeremiah 44. In Babylonia and Egypt, domestic religious practices were never completely supplanted by temple ceremonies in which rulers took a prominent part. It was always possible, therefore, for usurpers to make popular appeal by reviving ancient and persistent forms of worship. As we have seen, Jehu of Israel, after stepping out Phoenician Baal worship, secured a strong following by giving official recognition to the cult of the golden calf. We're going to get this to here. I know my charge is expired, but I'm, I'm going to go a little bit further. All right? I'm going to go a little bit further. When we go to uh, page 423, 
No, no. That was page 423 that we finished reading. Now I'm going to, and y'all can look this up, the 12 goddesses of fertility around the world and their stories. All right? You can look this up. It's the, the, uh, the 12 goddesses of fertility around the world and their stories. And there's also 11 goddesses of the forest, wild animals, and nature. There's nature goddesses. All right? I'm going to end it there. This, this is a good spot to end at. We've pretty much said this at, at the two hours. There are 12 goddesses of fertility around the world and their stories that all relate back to Serranus. Her dead husband come back as a powerful god, impregnating her and, then, and giving birth to her son, who was her powerful divine husband come back. There's 12 goddesses of fertility around the world and their stories. You can also find 11 goddesses of the forest and uh, the, of the forest, wild animals, and nature. All this goes back to Ceramus. All of it. And then you can go look up nature goddesses. All right, go back and go look up nature goddesses. And all of them have their origins or beginnings. Going back to a woman who is impregnated by a god or by someone powerful, who, a powerful spirit, and who gives birth to a divine, powerful son. You can find these things. It's out there. All right? When I come back with this class, we're going to go into the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. All right, we're going to, to the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. All right, so yeah, let me end this right here. Yeah. All right, brothers and sisters, uh, I do want to thank everybody who, who uh, either you might be listening in uh, to the live broadcast to our web browser, or you actually called in at 646-668-2568. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. And let me, let me check my message, my text message here. Let me see if the brother tells the power. That's the message already about tomorrow's class. He hasn't reached me yet, so I'm not sure if my phone connected. Okay. Uh, we'll see if, 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 he, if he's able to uh, handle class tomorrow morning. If not, I, have no, I, I, would, uh, I will go ahead and continue the series. I'll definitely go ahead and continue the series. If not, please tune in and catch him tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, for FYI, for, for, for your information. Uh, and uh, tomorrow also, don't forget to catch uh, uh, SOW uh, Norfolk, SOW Houston, for uh, Facebook Live, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow. All right, brothers and sisters, with that, I would like to thank everybody for tuning in. Hopefully that this was um, uh, educational. Uh, and that you were able to get something from it. And I'm going to end today, not with the Shemai Israel, uh, but with the, the shofar blowing. So we're coming, uh, we finished with the memorial blowing the trumpets, and it's the call for everybody to get ready for the, for the Day of Atonement and the Feast Tabernacles. So with that, my name is Mashado. All right, uh, Becky says, I have a question regarding Sunday worship. Why is it wrong? Uh, no longer go to church. But in the past, I did. 
Sister Becky, I love your question. And what I'll do is I will cover I don't know if you're able to listen to me right now. I will go ahead and cover this in my next class. I'll, I'll bring it up. All right? So with that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say for tonight, shalom.